We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, friends. Josh Bowe and Kirk Henderson coming to you with an off-season edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Josh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, not the way I want to end my holiday weekend with some stuff going on in my personal life, but we will not bore our listeners with that. But all things considered, good health. Everything's going good. Can't complain otherwise. I have a sweet, sweet sunburn from spending way too much time at the pool. <laughs> um but so, you know, now that we're kind of in like the slow, the slow part of the off season, like there's kind of two lulls, um, you know, anything kind of before the draft uh, and then before free agency. And since both of those things like happen in rapid succession, we've got about four weeks until free agency kicks off. But but then even around that, there's the Olympics. And then after like the Olympics and draft, we kind of have like another month um, um, between when, you know training camp and stuff kicks off in like mid-September to late September. So with that in mind, um, before we kind of dive into the free agency stuff a little later, Josh and I want to give it a couple more weeks just because he and I, I don't know, I'm just going to speak for both of us. I don't really like the speculative part because I'm really bad at it. Like it, it's our friend Dalton like loves just like coming up with, with the scenarios. And like, for me, it just turns me into a crazy person. So I don't really want to talk about it until we get more kind of concrete stuff in mind that said if you're if you're listening to this podcast uh, starting on wednesday on on mavsmoneyball.com we will be kind of rolling out kind of free agency profiles where we've talked to our staff and we want people to write on whoever they want to write about because this is the only part in of a year where you can really write about non-mavericks players um so so we're kind of encouraging that now with that in mind what we wanted to do uh we wanted to do this one when when was actually happening when we were writing kind of our player reviews uh, uh over on the site but then what happened was the mavericks fell apart uh and had all sorts of news and we had to talk about the news <laughs> and so now that we've kind of had a little bit of a break i really i, I kind of think it's for the best because i think we can can look back you know kind of with clear eyes understanding that we have a new front office and new coach 
coming in and we can talk about the team that that was and, and you know talk about like they're they're kind of and what that might mean for these guys going forward with kind of that in mind which i think is is a little you know it's it's nice in the sense of it it, it we can be a little more forward thinking um and if you've read the title we're going to talk about three guys today and we're kind of go through going to go through guys um in chunks of three until we make it through all of the roster at least all of the roster that we feel like talking about um so today we're going to talk about luka Doncic, uh maxi kleba and trey burke um and and probably maybe we'll just do that order um so so josh let's let's just like kind of start with luca like what what more can like <laughs> what, what, what do you do for a guy who hits his uh second first all nba team in his third year um make free throws i, I guess that's about <laughs> make free throws and, and be and be a better defender i mean those are like the two very obvious things um the free throw stuff is just i don't you know we can talk there's nothing really we can say. It's like, you know, make them like, I don't know. I don't know what we do. You know, there's no strategy. There's no, there's no opinion you can have other than he's just, that's just gotta be something he has to fix. Um, I mean, he hasn't shot 80% for a seat. You know, he was 71 his rookie year, 75 last season, 73 this season. And we saw in the playoffs, it didn't look good either. Uh, so he's just got to fix that. And then defensively, you know, I think we both know that he's not going to be an all level, uh, defensive player just because of how much is expected of him on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's only so much a guy that get has so much of an offensive load. There's only so much he can do defensively unless, you know, unless you're like a, uh, a LeBron type, you know, godlike player. Uh, so you know, the other big thing I think that we both can agree on, and this is something like that we feel is tangible, and we just don't know when it's going to happen, is he needs to be in better shape. Mm. And not trying to say, you know, he's not a good athlete because he is a good athlete right now, but it's obvious that there is some room to grow in terms of his conditioning and how he treats his body. And before you get mad and run to the comments and they talk about why we're hating on Luca, his one of his favorite veteran teammates, JJ Brea has said this like out loud into a public podcast that Luca doesn't take training as seriously as he should, because, you know, when you've been as amazing at basketball as he's been at every stop of his life, since he's been basically been 13, you know, the training part doesn't necessarily come into focus. Cause it's kind of like, well, I'm already, the, you know, I'm already great. What do I need to, you know, obsessively work out every day for? Cause I'm already all NBA and doing all this and I dominate and I won Euro league and I won the VP, like all this crazy stuff. So it's that part might not happen this, this off season because of the Olympics and he's still fairly young, but event like that light bulb will eventually click uh, because he's eventually going to reach a spot where there's nothing left on the court to improve. And if he keeps running into a wall, he's going to realize, okay, well, now it's time to focus on my body in a way that I haven't done before. Uh, and I think, you know, so we'll see when that happens, but that's definitely something he could work on. Well, so kind of, we kind of jumped ahead, and I probably should have Sorry. should have specified this to a degree. So what, you know, without having to get too deep into stats, and feel free if you kind of can quickly pull them up, what things did he do in year three that he didn't do in year two or – Rather, what did he improve upon in in year in year three versus year two? And then, what do you think he might have sort of taken a step back on, if anything? Uh, well, I don't have. I'm, I'm pulling up the numbers right now, but I can tell you off the top of my head. I mean, we both know this. Uh, his mid range game was 
vastly improved. Uh, I mean, I think it's almost under discussed about yeah. how absolutely ridiculous he was where the mid range and this gets talked about and people who listen to this podcast probably realize this, but the mid range is the most sort of inefficient shot in basketball. The only players who really take them are the best players in basketball. Your Kawhi Leonard's uh, now your Luka Doncic's and, and Dirk Dirk sort of broke our, our, our understanding of how the mid range game works. And uh, it was, I think it was Jake Kemp who posted this at some point during the year where it was like Luca just decided to become good at the most difficult area of, of basketball shots. And good is really an understatement. He was elite in, in the, in the mid range to the, to the point to where it really sort of erased his lack of efficiency at the rim. Cause Dallas didn't have a rim roller for most of the year. He, he, and, and I'm, it was just kind of wild. I mean, the mid range stuff continues to blow my mind about how he went from from being kind of not like a liability but if he took a long jumper it was a win and now the shot is just so butter that i'm not sure how like he he's he's become in his third year as indefensible as anyone in the league yeah i've got him loaded up now and it's crazy uh so last season uh he was 20 of 57 from what nba.com classifies as the mid-range area which is basically outside of the paint inside of the three-point line so 20 of 57 35.1 uh this season he was 89 of 183 uh so not only a dramatic increase in attempts and makes but he was 48.6 percent shooting from mid-range so uh just kind of like a, a crazy jump uh that is probably hard to quantify, you know, across, you know, historically. But I think another really important part of that improvement is not just the mid-range, but the shots in the paint outside of the restricted area. Last season, he was 41%. This season, or this past season, he was 50%. Uh, so he what, was really good around the basket, but not right at the basket. Like that was is, is that kind of like the, is that kind of like the 10 foot range, like yeah. a step inside the free throw line kind of it, area. Yeah. It's all of the paint. That's not the restricted area. So outside of the restricted circle, but still in the paint. So yeah, Man. all the right around the free, th- all his floaters all around the free throw line, his little turnaround, you know, hook shots off the glass that he would, he would shoot his up and unders a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. The floater game, especially like that was, that was it. You know, when he would have a defender on his back in the pick and roll, the Chris Paul move, and he would kind of just keep keep that defender on his back, and then the big man would be in front of him guarding the rim, and then he would just hit that little, you know, that little one handed push shot floater. That's where that fifty percent uh, improvement came from. So that part was was pretty. That's a pretty remarkable improvement. Not just like I mean, in volume alone. I mean, good lord, he shot. 50, I know it was a shortened season, but he shot fifty seven mid-range shots in 2019-2020 and to go from that to 183 last season and improve the efficiency by as much as he did is like it's pretty clear that when he was in the gym last offseason when he had the opportunities to be in the gym like that was the focus like it was obviously that was the focus because he wanted to be I'm sure he wanted to be a three-level scorer because that's what you have to do to be in the playoffs because guys are gonna good defenses are gonna take away the rim they're gonna take away your threes they're going to want you to shoot those shots. So he probably, that was probably a focus for him. Yeah. Yeah. And his three point percentage took a, uh, I could be wrong on this. So I hope someone tells me if I'm wrong, but he went from shooting, uh, his rookie season, 32.7% from three, 
31.6% from three, up to an even 35% this last year. Uh, and I feel like a 3.4% increase with the kind of volume that he takes is a, is a statistically significant number. Um, he, he shot f- nearly 553s this season. And to go from where he was, where it's really, you know, 3% over, over the course of 500 shots is something like, like it's either like nine or 15 more makes over the course of the season. So like, we're not talking like an, like an insane number, but it's, it's enough. Well, no, it really is. So it, 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 it ends up being just looking at the numbers. He had 192 makes in the regular season in this past season. And then 19 and 20, he had 171 makes. So it's, it's the sort of thing to where, you know, the volume, he he actually shot fewer volume per game, which was interesting to me. Um, 8.9 in his second year and 8.3 in his, in his third year, which I feel like seven to eight threes a game is about right for Luca. Uh, there was some concern at certain points of the year when he was shooting north of like 10 shots a game that he was just getting lazy. And I think that those concerns were uh, valid because as we saw, like, you know, going back to your kind of what he needs to improve upon, he is not in good enough shape and doesn't consistently bring the heat. Uh, the Mavericks had the fourth best record against playoff teams in the entire league and yet, I bet mirror uh, image-wise, uh, the Mavericks had the worst record against sub-10 teams. I bet it, it's got to be one of the worst because they just lost to so many horrendous teams. And part of that is because Luka just doesn't bring it every game. But I, I'm thinking about that in relation to the shooting because, you know, he's going to be the offensive offensive uh, engine. And as we saw against the playoffs and the Clippers, when he really decides to care and brings it he is a absolute hurricane there's just nothing like him outside of maybe a young lebron yeah exactly and uh i think we've seen his playoff line i think he's over the course of two playoff series like 32 points like nine and eight on really good shooting and it's just really funny like even going into the last playoffs like he was not a good three-point shooter the season the first season in the playoffs and that he kind of just kind of brought it like he just kind of rises to the moment but talking about the three-point percentage i wanted to get back to that he did make a big leap i think something that's going to be really curious to see this season is he got that improvement basically for two months mm-hmm. basically 20, no off season right yeah, 22 games is what really bolstered that three-point for shooting in february he shot 43 and a half percent from three in march he shot 43.3 percent from three Every other month outside of that, he was 33 or lower. Uh, mm. December, he was 9%. Uh, January, he was 33. April, he was 31. And May, he was uh, 29, or basically 30, 29.9. So I'm curious if he can be a little bit more sustainable with his shot. And I wonder if that goes, you know, kind of goes back to conditioning because when he was shooting 9% in December, that's when he looked, I mean, physically, he looked awful. Like, I think that was the worst we've seen him look physically since we've been following him playing professional basketball his whole life. Uh, and that goes back to, you know, taking the training seriously. And, and, and you know, I think that's that same month as when JJ Bray was on that podcast. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that, if that helps, you know, if his conditioning helps with improve other parts of his game, like his jumper and makes him more consistent throughout the year. And, and yeah, like you said, bringing it on the games that are not on TNT, you know, playing, uh, Memphis on, on, on a Wednesday night uh, on the second night of a back-to-back, you know, if he's playing, like those are the games that you just, 
you need them. Uh, every game is important as we've seen uh, this past season, like, you know, they were able to manage to get to the fifth seed despite all that went wrong because they kind of turned it on at the end. You know, there's just, when you look at a season, even despite how long it is, like you can look back and like one or two games can be the difference between being in the play-in tournament or, you know, maybe ho- even hosting home court. So you're right. About, he's got he's got to bring it every game. <sighs> well, we could probably well, talk about Luca forever. Otherwise, but, I mean, everything's everything's I mean, great, it's, right? It's, it's preposterous. The only thing that I'm going to be curious to see is with some of the rule changes, how that affects his free throws. Um, Luca didn't shot, you know, fewer free throws in a major way this year. Uh, he didn't get as many calls, so I'm, I'm curious. Maybe the rule changes won't affect him as much. He really, I, I just, I don't understand how he's called. Um, actually, that's not true. I believe that his how he gets reft is a direct byproduct of how how he simply will not ever shut the fuck up and he's just that that's something that we talked about last year and he's gonna have to work on because it it caught up to him in a real way i mean against the clippers in seven games in in 2019 2020 i'm sorry in six games he shot almost 11 free throws a game against the very same clippers team he shot 7.3 free throws a game like that's that's silly that's there's there's a real there's there's a line there and, and that's just playoffs let alone the regular season stuff and he's gonna have to figure some of this out uh you know where where he needs to let you know jason kidd or cuban or someone else do some of the talking for him i mean the the i always kind of expected rick carl to kind of blow up about it just you know take a fine and make it make it a thing and it just never happened and and you know that that just that'll be a thing I'm I'm very interested in next year because you know he's got to find a way to get easier baskets. Um, and this his third year was his year of you know probably his most difficult baskets. Uh, uh you know, out of three seasons. So, yeah, and uh, part of that I think also go. You know, I, I don't want to tie everything back to conditioning, but I think me and you have noted that you know, in addition to everything, I agree with you. Everything about the free throws and how he gets refed uh, because of you know how he treats officials. I think another side of that coin is also you know he doesn't get he didn't get to the rim as often mm-hmm. uh, this past season, and I think a lot of it is he didn't have necessarily the same burst we saw in the bubble or at times last season, and maybe part of that is burst or part of that is the uh, the dynamics of the floor spacing was different without a without a rim roller uh, consistently all year uh and not you know he didn't have the the pick and roll or pick and pop threats that he had in 2019 2020 so maybe that's part of it but you know there were a couple times there were a couple moments even in the playoffs or in some games where me like we would talk in slack and be like man he's he's struggling to get by guys right now like uh, and you know he has to pull up and shoot that floater because he doesn't have the extra gear to to get to get to the basket now that's not, you know, he still is great and efficient. And, like, it goes back to, yeah, easier baskets. Because those floaters, as great as he is, some of those are really contested. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, you know, that'll be huge for him uh, if he can if he can get back to where he was in 2019, 2020. Because cause the, the good news is we've seen it before. So it's not like he can't do it. It's right. just hopefully with a better roster and a better offseason, uh, he can get back to where he was there. So Josh and I did the thing we always do, which in our pre-show, we're like, oh, we're going to talk like seven, eight minutes about each guy. And we just spent like 15 minutes talking about Luca. Well, I doubt we're going to do that for our next guy. Yeah. Um, because he's not near as, as you know, Luca's the, 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 you know, he's the engine. So of course we're going to talk about him a lot. He's interesting. But this next guy um, was someone, you know, the Mavericks uh, picked up Trey Burke 
uh, prior to heading into um, the bubble last year, and he earned himself a three-year contract as part of their mid-level exception. It was a $9.45 million contract uh, that he signed at the start of last season. And he has a, a he's basically going to earn a, a little over $3 million this year, and he has a, a trade kicker as well. Um, I think the trade kicker was probably agreed upon by both parties because if the Mavericks ever come ac- across a trade, having um, you know more more salary can often be of value at this point because despite the average, I think the average NBA contract at this point is like nine million dollars. Most guys make north of like fifteen. Uh, like the most expensive best players are like 15 to 25 or 30 million dollar guys. And then there's a whole bunch of people that make like four. So you just you, you need like salaries like that on the roster. Well, in Burke's second year, he was uh, second, you know, kind of season with the Mavericks. He played in 62 games. He play, played just under 15 minutes, which really feels like a lot in retrospect. <laughs> um, he, he, you know, scored about you know a little over six and a half points and was frankly just not good. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, any other way to, to put it, uh, you know, the, the, it's very frustrating that the Mavericks, you know, opted to give this guy this sort of deal when he just, even before in his previous, you know, seasons, um, in the league, he, he wasn't, he, he just, he's a guy and the Mavericks sort of expected, I, I feel like that he was put in a position to, to, to not to fail, but he was, he was just a salary, you know, like kind of roster filler following the bubble. And when COVID happened, he played more than he needed to. And then he, you know, was kind of in and out of the rotation at best. He he just, he's a single, you know, he's a single skill guy when it comes to scoring. And if he's not scoring, it doesn't really bring much to the team. Yeah. Um, his assists and turnover numbers are hilarious uh, for a guy that when he's on the floor, he usually has the ball in his hands like a lot. Uh, the fact that he played 911 minutes and had 33 turnovers, but also just 81 assists, like <laughs> is just hilarious. Like it's he shot there. every time he touched the ball is, yes. is what he did. Yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy. Um, but yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame man. When you look at his career, man, I don't, I don't blame him. You take every shot you can get. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird case where he was not good, and he, they needed someone in his spot to be semi-productive. But you can't get mad at the money necessarily uh, because it's not a lot. And like you said, you kind of need guys with his salary range to, to match, to match dollars and cents and, and trades. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things where it's frustrating because. It, it probably feels more frustrating to us as people that are really intent and in watching this. Like people from mm-hmm. the I'd probably look at Trey Burke and like, oh, why do people get mad? Like he's just he's, I mean he got he got inserted into the final or not finals. He got inserted into game seven in the second half when the Mavericks had nothing. Yeah. And it just felt so unfair to him. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. yeah, but it's one of those things where the Maverick like he wouldn't be in the NBA if the Mavericks weren't signing. Like if they if they didn't sign him before the bubble. I don't think he was going to get picked up by another team because he was free for a while after he let, he got dropped from Philly. And it's hard to imagine anyone else would have really given him that same contract if the Mavericks didn't this last offseason. So it's kind of one of those things where you hope the Mavericks can spin him into gold because we've seen that before. We've seen it with him. Like, I mean, he did it in the bubble. So, and you look at his skill set and you think about what Rick Carlisle values in a guard and you're like, all right, maybe. And it just didn't, you know, it worked 
last season and it just didn't work this season. And that's kind of how it goes when you got these end of the roster guys. It just feels, it probably feels more frustrating to us and the Mavericks fans because he's a familiar face and, and not someone that, like I said, not someone that you think would be a mainstay in the league if, if it weren't for the Mavericks giving him second and third chances. Yeah, he's just kind of the poster child of the fact that the Mavericks f- free agency, you know, foibles the last several years result in them only being able to sign small single skill guards. Um yes. Or like single skill players really is kind of what it comes down to. But, you know, he'll be back with the team next year, barring some weird offseason trade. And, you know, he's not a terrible guy to have as a 10th man. The problem is when they've had to bump him up the rotation to anything more than that. And you just see kind of kind of just the limitations of his game. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what it is uh, with uh, with with Trey Burke. Um the last guy we're going to talk about is is just such a lightning rod. Uh, Maxi Kleba is you know, playing with the Mavericks yet again, I think he's he's been with the Mavericks his entire career, which is how many? I should should have had him pulled up on basketball. Four, four seasons. He just completed his fourth season. Fourth season. He's going to be 31 at some point or 30. I can't remember how old he is, but he's, he's you know, he's this 6'10 power forward who is made his his kind of you know bones in the nba as a strong defender who developed a three-point shot and this last season he was you know in in the season prior 2019 2020 he was an absolute iron man he played 74 of 75 games in the 2019 20 season um and they i i think you know the fast turnaround uh paired with COVID paired with, you know, just sort of the fact that the Mavericks have played him a, a lot of minutes, um, it, you know, the, the 25 a game, you know, he's, he's basically averaging just over 25 a game the last two seasons, which for an un, un you know, uh, uh, an older undrafted free agent is he, there's a reason he was never drafted to begin with. I mean, the Mavericks have really maximized what they've been able to do with Maxi Kleba and he he got hurt this year and his Achilles and Achilles is just something that you don't bounce back from if it's sore. It's it's a management injury. And once his Achilles went, he really became a fairly um, pedestrian player, despite the Mavericks using him to, to do things that were just big asks of him. And he never really played poorly it's just he 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 was asked to do a lot and in the end he wasn't really capable of doing as much as the Mavericks asked for would would you think that's fair I think that's fair but I would also say he played he's played poorly in the playoffs two years in a row yeah you know and this past year you know the Achilles you know we can he's had COVID so we can maybe give him a pass but the year before he was healthy uh and he gave them you know almost nothing I know he he guarded Kawhi but I, I'm tired of giving pats on the back for him guarding Kawhi when Kawhi averages like 38 points a game on 55% shooting on him. So, you know, congratulations. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you guarded Kawhi uh, and you've lost in the playoffs, you know, two straight years and he's gone absolutely ape, ape S on you. No. So, I mean, that's, that's harsh because like you said, it's not, he shouldn't be guarding. Kawhi. I mean, at least that's this insane. year he hit his threes in the yes, playoffs because but, if, if you go back to, 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 the previous uh, season, he was uh, in, in the bubble. He was five of 26 against the Clippers this year. He was eight of 20 and seven. But the problem is he he, he was eight of 20 over seven games. So if, if you're there's no real value in being a sharpshooter, if you don't take things at volume. 
Yeah, I mean, he averaged 2.9 shots, three-point shots per game in the playoffs. He averaged four shots total. Um, you know, he consider he was playing like north of 26 minutes a night. That's like his shooting and spacing didn't mean anything because he was basically not taking any shots. And like, it's really nice if you're making 40% of your threes, but you're, if you're only shooting a couple times a game, the defense does not care. Like they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not concerned about that. Uh, The thing that really concerned me this season, despite his career year from three is his two, two stats, his two point attempts decreased dramatically. He averaged 2.6, two point attempts uh, per game last season. He was down to 1.3 two-point attempts per game this season. I mean, he was literally this season regulated to spot-up guy, and that was it. And if if he did not get a spot-up shot off, he was a liability in the offense. And, you know, when he was making the threes, he, he was great, but he only averaged, you know, he's a 27-minute-per-game starter averaging seven points per game. Like, you just, you if you're doing that, you have to be, like, nearing an all defense NBA team to be considered like a really great starter on a playoff team. And he was not that despite uh, his reputation. Um, So that concerns me because when you're lowering the two point attempts, that means he wasn't doing a lot of the rim running that he did the season before that. I think we saw some spurts after Powell went down, we were like, Oh, maybe he's got something and he can be a little bit more versatile in a shot diet, as opposed to just taking whatever spot up threes Luca can, can spoon feed him. That kind of went away. And then the big one to me is his block rate went down again. Uh, career low, 2.4% block rate. Season before was 3.8. 2018, 2019, it was 4.4. Um, and then rookie season was 3.5. So he, he, he's he been, since 2018, he's been declining with his blocks, uh, which I know it's not the say-all, end-all, but I think it's a good indicator that he's lost a little something on the defensive end in terms of being able to make game-changing kind of plays. He still did what the team asked him to, and I think part of that decreased block rate is because they asked him to guard more wings than ever before this season. So he's away from the rim more, so naturally he's not going to be a shot blocker. But I think even when he was positioned to guard the rim, it just – he did not it did not feel as impactful as it was his first two seasons in the league uh-huh. uh, and i really feel like he and you know part of it could be covid part of it could be uh, the achilles but you know for whatever reason just his defense has not from the rookie and sophomore seasons where we really thought he could be like a top 20 25 defender in the league uh, the, these last two seasons i feel like i've just been really tremendously disappointing and i i don't see his defense being at a level that can overcompensate for the fact that he is a very one-dimensional offensive player he was very the the game that kind of comes to mind last season was how well he was able to sort of contain zion williamson who i know Mm -hmm. became a different player last year but zion was still a force of nature his rookie year when he was playing and maxi if not like Stonewall's not really fair, but basically held the tide and he could not do that this year. Um, this is, it's sort of unfair because I feel like if he was the fourth big in the rotation, instead of like essentially the second, he would be an ideal player. Uh, but as usual with the rest of the Maverick rotation, he's asked to do a lot over time. And, inevitably not inevitably 
but they put him in a position to not succeed just often enough to where it caught up with him. Is sort of how I feel. Yeah, and I don't think it's a surprise that the two seasons we've seen him decline defensively are the two seasons he's played by far the most basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, his first, his rookie year, he was, you know, that fun springy unknown guy who's playing about 17 minutes off the bench. Year before that, the 2018-2019 year, he was back up to DeAndre Jordan playing 20 minutes. And I'm sure uh, with the DeAndre Jordan goggles, we were like, oh, my God, look at this guy. Because DeAndre wasn't, you know, he had the stone feet and just did not guard the rim. And then, you know, Maxi would come off the bench and he'd be flying around, chasing guys at the three-point line, blocking shots at the rim. And he, he probably he looked like a revelation. Uh, and then these last two seasons, you know, he's been a big, you know, he's either been you know, he started 21 games out of 74 last season. So not a full-time starter, but you know, 25 minutes a game, 27 minutes a game, you know, he's been counted on to be like a top six guy in the, in the rotation, I would say top six or seven. And ideally you'd probably like him to be, you know, your backup big. Uh, and I think maybe with less minutes, he could be more productive, uh, but we'll see. I, I think he's, you know, we'll talk about this probably with other guys, but you know, when you look at the Mavericks starting lineup, he's one spot where you go, okay, they really need to get an upgrade. Not to say Maxi doesn't deserve to be on the team, right? But just push him down a rung uh, mm-hmm. on on the rotation. So uh, I think we're both in in alignment there. But no, no, yeah, I think kind of a rough season for him, despite some of the some of the career high shooting numbers. It, right. It was it was like it started off very well and then was just a season of attrition despite mm-hmm. how his shooting worked and you know the Achilles thing I just uh, maybe he'll look better next year with an Achilles but I just I can't shake the fact that if if you're if you're on the wrong side of 30 as an undrafted guy there's only so much juice that you have and I think that you know uh, us who are Mavs fans we've really bought you know we've really kind of misunderstood the fact that Dirk was a supreme level athlete who played well into his late 30s and then you watch a guy like Chris Paul and blah, blah, blah. And and these guys are outliers. They are not the norm. They are the exception. They're and, also and, that's also why they get paid $35 million a year. Correct. And it's why they get drafted <laughs> so high. And it's like, you know, the, the Mavericks finding diamond in the roughs, like both Maxie and Dorian Finney Smith, who we'll get to in a later episode, is is to be credited, but it is also just at a certain point it's just not fair to these guys to assume that, ah, this is who they're going to be. They're going to keep projecting upwards. And our fans really like to do that. But you know, this, if at his salary is going to be making just under 9 million, it might be the wise thing for him to go ahead and, and, you know, figure something else. The Mavericks might, might need to figure something else out with him. You know, they, they, this, this new front office has a lot of options. Wouldn't shock me if, if two of the three guys we talked about tonight aren't on the roster next year, you know? Yeah, and when you have the results they've had in the last two playoffs, you haven't won a first-round series in 10 years. Uh, I mean, that's normal. Change is normal. Like, it, when you get the results that you get, it is not crazy to to have things change, both on the floor and, and in the back office. I think a lot of the, the shock and, the shock and uh, you know, the, the alarmist nature of, of what's happened lately, I think, is because the Mavericks just have – this inertia where they just nothing changes uh, mm-hmm. so this is normal like normal nba teams go through ups and downs and when it's down it's like hey we got to figure something else out we got to do something different so it's not a knock against these guys individually it's just hey these are the results and they, they got to get better yes well all right so 
as usual, you and I enjoy talking to one another. So we made what was supposed to be a 20 to 25 minute episode, a 30 plus minute episode. That's great. I don't think anybody will care because it's the off season and we're all kind of starving <laughs> for content. Um, with that in mind, probably what will happen is I'm going to host a locker room tomorrow night, I think. And then, you know, Josh and I might reconvene a little later in the week for another episode. Uh, this has been fun, though, Josh. We're going to talk about who did I say we were going to talk about? Um, probably coming up later in the week, we're going to chat about uh, Porzingis, Powell, and and then rookie Josh Green. Um, and that's that's if you know, be thinking about that, guys. Anything you want to point out to me about their seasons? Lord knows, uh, y- y'all, Josh Josh Green believers are a incredibly special crowd. I appreciate uh, the passion and the insanity that comes with rooting for a second year player who didn't play that much. Um, but yeah, Josh, you got anything else before we get out of here? No, I've talked enough. Let's go. All right, guys, this has been Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow with Mavs and Moneyball After Dark. Be sure to keep coming to the site and subscribe, rate, review, all that great stuff. It's been very